This year's elections provide us an opportunity to vote for the candidates we need to strengthen our communities across the state. Today, we want to introduce you to another candidate running for office. Cynthia Castro has experience in City Hall and wants to use it on the Portland City Council, where she is running for position number two. Thanks for joining us today, Cynthia. Oh, thanks for having me. How are you and your family doing? Well, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm actually in my basement, and it my kids turned it into a giant fort. So um, it's actually been nice seeing them be creative. Um, and for myself, I'm a runner, and so I've been taking advantage of the mild spring weather and getting outside. And so that's sort of like what's helping me get through and not feel too cooped up. So overall, we're doing great. Oh, glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. That that question, you know, is has changed over the last few weeks as we check in with one another and see how we're doing. It's uh, it's a really unbelievable time each morning. I keep hoping it's just a dream. Yeah, I totally agree. And talking to friends and family, I know people are. Um, I also know people are feeling stress and anxiety. So I think for myself, I've definitely made sure to connect with like my parents especially and friends that I know that live by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what should our listeners know about you? We know now you're a runner. We know that you're a parent and your kids like to build forts. What else should our listeners know about you as a candidate? Sure. So, um, you know, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and have a background as a researcher uh, when I was an undergrad at Arizona State University. Um, where I did cross country and track. Um, I conducted research studies largely around minority health disparities and also poverty alleviation. Um, At the University of Washington, I also did studies around um, community support for breastfeeding. Um, And then, um, you know, I worked um, as a public health professional. Um, When I went to Oregon State University to get my master's in public health, um, Oregon State University was bringing back their women's cross country and track program. So the timing was actually really nice. And um, with my own background as a competitive student athlete, I ended up being on the coaching staff there for five years, and it was great being there and helping to resurrect that program, reconnect with alumni, and also support our um, student athletes who were, you know, living independently for the first time and discovering themselves while um, managing um, competitive running and, and school at the same time. Um, for the last six years, I've proudly served our community um, as a uh, City of Portland employee. Um, I worked with Portland Parks and Recreation. Uh, my last job with them was as the director of the Charles Jordan Community Center in North Portland. Um, and then I was recruited to be a senior policy advisor for Commissioner Amanda Fritz, and I've had the opportunity to see firsthand what the job entails as well as to lead some pretty um, pretty great uh, policies, uh, policy development teams as well. What moved you to jump into this race and run for position two? Yeah, you know, I was actually, so I, I uh, participated, I graduated from the Emerge Oregon program a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. so um, it's not something that I've ju- I'm doing spontaneously. I've been thinking about it for a few years, um, so I participated in that program, um, and I was interested in Commissioner Fish's seat um, maybe in a couple years, you know, if he decided not to run for re-election. Um, I really like his portfolio um, as a former Parks employee, like I mentioned you know, he, he had Portland Parks and Recreation and the Bureau of Environmental Services in his portfolio. So I was looking at that and, um, you know, being in City Hall, it was really difficult um, with his unexpected passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just decided, you know what, why wait? Um, now's a great time. I have the qualifications. 
Um, I've had the chance to be able to see what the job entails firsthand and working for Commissioner Fritz for over a year and a half. So I felt like the time was right. Um, so yeah, that's why I decided to jump in. <laughs> so tell our listeners a little bit about Emerge. It's a, a oh, sure. program that maybe not everyone knows about, but is, is an incredible resource for folks who might be interested in running for office. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Um, thanks for that. So Emerge Oregon is a program that trains women who are part of the Democratic Party to run for office. So it was about, a, I think, a year-long program. So essentially, once a month on a, a full Saturday, I would meet with my cohort. So I did have to apply for the program, um, interview, and then I was accepted into the program. I think I was part of one of the, the most diverse classes that Emerge had at the program, also one of the largest classes. Um, this was following the 2016 election, so mm -hmm. I think there was a fire lit under many of us um, <laughs> to to jump at, to look at running for office. Um, and so, um, you know, it was it's a it was the Oregon chapter, so it's a national organization. But I participated in the Oregon chapter. So, what was great is that my cohort included individuals that weren't just from the Portland area, but they were from the coast and from Central Oregon, Eastern Oregon. And we were, we were all running for, or interested in running for different things. So whether that was state rep or school boards, um, city council, commissioner, uh, county commissioners. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and actually while I was doing the training, I have had a couple classmates who were running for office as we were in that training. So I definitely highly recommend it. And I think this year there are over 50 of us who are running. Mm. So um, it just gives you essentially the nuts and bolts of how to run a campaign. Mm. And now that and you're an incredible network. Oh, that's great. And now that you're a few months into your campaign, what have been the most valuable tactics or uh, topics that you learned from Emerge that you're using to run a campaign? Yeah, I think that messaging is really important. Mm -hmm. So being able to articulate who you are, why you're running, um, to be able to um, uh, connect with different people and I think you know a thing that was really important that Emerge oppressed upon us as well is that it's not about you it's about who you're serving so I think for myself as somebody who um, you know one of my strengths is being a great listener I think that that was something that I got to hone a little bit more as I've gone through this process and it's been really interesting I mean I also have a background in anthropology so the study of people so mm -hmm. I think that um, in general, I just really like learning and hearing from people from all different parts of the city, different life experiences um, to help better inform myself as somebody who will be representing them. So we were talking about how your campaign has shifted. You had events on the calendar that had to had to be canceled, and now you're getting creative. What does that look like? Yeah, so... Um, you know, fortunately, we live in an age where we have so much access to different kinds of technology. And so we've really started to just focus on our online presence. And, you know, I have um, a Facebook page, Twitter, uh, my website. So we've started to do, for myself, I'm a visual interactive person. So instead of just like posting like text content, we're also looking at posting videos and photos. At the same time, we know that not everybody ha necessarily has the same access to, to technology, and so we're also going to be hitting the phones. Um, can't hit the pavement, but we can hit the phones, um, and then also do some other things like mailers. Fantastic. And and so as you're thinking about the change you want to see in this city, what are your top priorities? Yeah. So I mentioned Portland Parks and Recreation. So one of the things one of the things that's my top priority 
is um, building on Commissioner Fish's work to secure a long-term financial sustainability model for Portland Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. Last year, the Bureau was hit by a $6.3 million budget shortfall that resulted in the closures of recreation facilities and mass employee layoffs, um, many of whom were my colleagues. So that's something, those financial struggles have been building. And even though the Bureau was able to close that gap last year, if we still don't address structural issues, we're going to continue to see our parks and recreation system diminish. And I definitely don't want to see that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for myself, see Portland Parks and Recreation as kind of like a one-stop shopping bureau that touches so many aspects of our life. Um, it's community building, promotes public health, it's environmental protections, um, and economic, there's economic benefits. So I really think that uh, we would all benefit from a healthy, well-maintained parks and recreation system um, and for future generations of Portlanders. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, I've worked for the city of Portland for six years. Um, and through my experience, I've worked on the front lines in communities across the city. So. I understand that not all Portlanders are thriving and that many are disconnected from their local government, especially communities of color. So one of the things I also want to focus on is building trust with community um, as well as improving access um, and also changing city systems and structures that have perpetuated inequities and really work alongside communities to create policies and programs that meet their needs. Mm. So instead of coming to community at the end of a decision-making process, to like rubber stamp it's like no let's co-create together and I think that's what belonging means and how tell us a little bit more about your tactics around building trust in communities especially in this time how are you getting to know communities um, and 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 building that trust that you talk about yeah so it takes time and I think for myself at the core of everything I do and I think what is so essential for us as um, city government officials is relationship building So when I was the director of the Charles Jordan Community Center, I saw myself as, I'm this recreation center where people can come, take Zumba classes, their kids can do preschool and after school. But for many community members, um, we were still government. And Mm -hmm. so I had to find a way to, how can I connect with individuals that live literally across the street or down the street from our center who have never set foot in our building because we are still government, attached to government, Mm -hmm. um, especially in that community where there's a large immigrant refugee population. And so given federal policies um, and fear that exacerbated those, um, that distrust. And so I proactively went to, to to the community to introduce myself. Um, For instance, uh, right next door to our building was the Rosa Parks Elementary School, and they had parent coffees every Friday morning. So I went there to introduce myself. Um, I used to be fluent in Spanish, but I'm still working on kind of regaining it. But I had enough <laughs> where I could um, where I could speak in Spanish. And so many of the moms um, or parents who would attend those coffees were native Spanish speakers and had limited English proficiency. And so I would come to those coffees and I would just talk to them about the different pro- programs we've had. I had free passes that I would bring with me. Um, so I did that, and then I also invited them to come into the building, and I gave them a tour of the facility. Um, and I, I still remember when some of the parents came, and I felt like, wow, like, you know, it, it takes time, but it can pay off. And then, you know, again, to, like, make sure that they felt welcomed when they, they did, you know, um, have enough trust to, like, come in the door on their own. 
um, but then to make them feel welcome with myself as well as my staff. So Mm -hmm. I think relationship building, it's, you know, sometimes I think the city, we're very transactional, like we're coming to you because we need something and and then we leave and then you don't hear from us again. So Mm. I really think that that's foundational is taking that time um, to build those relationships, to meet communities where they're at, to get out of downtown and not to to go because you have an agenda um, that you're looking for them to rubber stamp. As a city employee, whether it's with the parks or um, as a city commissioner, there will ultimately be uh, many constituent voices that will be approaching you uh, with ideas, with priorities. How do you balance those constituent voices, or is balance even the right word? Sure. So, you know, in my experience in Commissioner Fritz's office, you know, as a city commissioner, the way that our form of government is now, we we represent all city um, all community members and so you know it is my responsibility and obligation I think to be able to welcome all those different voices I think that what we need to ask ourselves is who's not coming to us Mm -hmm. so um, that's again where that proactive approach to getting out to communities Um, I've done work within the city of Portland around language access so currently I'm leading a team uh, an internal work group to be able to um, pass Uh, adopt a policy around um, language pay differential, which essentially means compensating employees who are using their language skill set. We have individuals that have been doing that. It's not necessarily part of their job scope, but they're doing it because they know that we need to connect with community members. We almost have, there's almost 20% of our population who speak um, a language other than English in the home. Um, And I was just reading in the Oregonian how immigrant refugee populations right now um, in the during the coronavirus are having a hard time accessing information. Mm. So I think, again, like, it's it's definitely being responsive and listening to constituents that are coming to us, but it's also thinking who's not and how can we reach them and how can we improve our systems so that they can, again, it's, uh, you know, we, when we also have staff that reflect the community, that builds trust as well, um, and then to be able to provide that better service and connection. Mm. I want to go back to parks for a minute. Um, one might see in the headlines that parks is having budget issues. Can you sort of unpack that a, a little bit for us? What tell us first about the revenue structure of parks? Where does where does revenue come from to to pay for facilities and programs, et cetera, in parks? Yeah. So you know we are uh, our parks is a general fund bureau. Um, as, and they also have other kinds of um, forms of funding that come in. So system development charges, for instance. So as we have new development and our population grows, we get these system development charges to be able to help accommodate that growth. Um, we also have fundraising, though, you know, um, not as much capacity to do that. Um, so I think for myself, having worked on the recreation side of Parks and Recreation, so I worked for the Charles Run Community Center, which is one of their full-service um, recreation facilities. I also worked for their, um, essentially their uh, recreation admin, admin um, arm as well. And for myself, what I've been seeing is um, that the, the, the revenue generating model that we have for parks is unrealistic. So essentially, if you're recreation, you're expected to recoup 50 cents for every dollar. So what the Bureau has done over the years is sort of like increase the fees for service. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see even now in this environment how that can be really uh, unreliable. And at the same time, it put what I found in my years with the Bureau, even when I first got there, was that it puts 
um, staff at conflict because they're trying to balance equity and access while also continuing to price people out of programming. And so um, for myself, I felt like that the fees is not the answer, like, or, or just continuing to increase the fees. We really need to look at the structure itself so that we can better accomplish those goals um, of being able to provide service for all communities. Um, so those, those are definitely things that I saw um, uh, as challenges. Um, and, um, you know, I know that Commissioner Fish and Director Adina Long went to council in the fall to be able to present different options. So they have sort of three different scenarios and council, you know, and I totally agree with council's direction at the time, which is to be bold and think about equity when they come back with, with sort of the, the plan moving forward. I really feel like now is the opportunity to be able to set this bureau up for long-term success, to be able to um, address the over $400 million backlog of major maintenance needs that they're going to have mm. over the next 10 years. Mm. And how does the Parks Foundation interact with the Parks Department? Yeah, so, you know, they're a 501c3, and so they have a little bit more, um, they, they operate, they can function differently than a government agency. So, um, you know, when, when the Bureau in 2014 had the Parks Replacement Bond, the Parks Foundation was able to do a lot of that campaigning that the government, as, us as government officials, we couldn't do. So um, they definitely play a big part. Um, they, they also were helping to, you know, um, the Barbara Walker Bridge that just opened over um, Burnside to help connect the Wildwood Trail was something that they were definitely helping to lead. Um, so, and, and I know they're looking at programming as well. So even right now, I know that they're fundraising to help continue meal service um, through Portland Parks and Recreation. I know that they're also um, trying to fundraise to help um, uh, families be able to afford swim lessons. Um, and I know that we were also talking about sort of like more further like establishing our scholarship program and seeing the foundation as being that agency to be able, be able to help us with fundraising for that. Mm. So then let's talk. So that's the that's the revenue side of the parks department. Let's talk about the expense side, the cost side. You just talked about a backlog of maintenance. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so... Um, we just don't have, at the end of the day, we just don't have the resources to be able to um, adequately um, provide that ongoing maintenance that's needed for our assets. So again, when I was at Charles Jordan Community Center, for instance, you know, we had a playground, like sort of one of those rubber playground surfaces outside one of our preschool rooms, and there was a hole, um, and it just grew over time, but it wasn't a high enough priority because maybe there wasn't the same kind of traffic concerns because we could just sort of like cone it off. But what I saw was, okay, because we're not able to tend to this issue early, it's going to become a bigger issue and then it's going to become a more costly issue. Mm -hmm. So I think that the maintenance um, maintenance staff, they're constantly having to prioritize and maybe reprioritize based off of what's most urgent, maybe what's more of a safety health risk. And so then you have some things like the hole in our play, our play surface that just continues to grow. And then by the, when they do actually get to it, it's going to be a, a, a more costly issue. Mm. So um, I think it's definitely really important that we be able to um, more um, adu adequately take care of our assets ongoing instead of having to wait until it's at, at failure and we either 
making the decision to close it or we're trying to find millions of dollars to fix it. Yeah, right. How many parks facilities are there? Oh, um, gosh. Off the top of my head, I want to throw out the number 13, but you'll probably you'll need to Yeah, no worries. Like Just to yeah. give, a, give a scale of that. So we have a revenue picture that is limited. Um, uh-huh. And then, and especially with a focus on equity, don't want to pass those generated revenue or the uh, fees on to community members. Then we have aging facilities that need uh, need funding in order to fix, mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. they're modern facilities, so that communities can use them in the best, most you know, most exciting, creative ways possible. What what's the next steps for parks from your perspective? Well, you know, right now, um, they're sort of um, being hit again because of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they had to close their recreation facilities, um, which are revenue generating sources. So um, and, you know, also kind of looking at impacts to the workforce. Um, at the same time, um, the Bureau has brought on a couple of our community centers to serve as um, uh, shelters. So um, so I know that um, including Charles Jordan. Yeah, Charles Jordan. Yeah, Charles Jordan. And I believe they're looking at bringing on East Portland Community Center. And, you know, um, when I was at Charles Jordan in 2017, we had a severe winter storm and we opened our facility as a warming shelter. And, you know, I definitely was proud of, um, of Portland. It was such an example of people coming together to serve our community during the, that, that time. Um, you know, it was myself, my staff, you know, I live in Southwest and Charles Jordan's in North Portland. And, it, you know, I would trek two hours to get there every morning to open the building. Like, you know, I'm not somebody who's going to be asking my staff to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And then we had um, mental health behavioral specialists who were there on site who were familiar with the individuals that were staying with us. Um, and we did have an individual who had a health episode. And so, you know, um, EMTs came to help provide assistance. We had community members who had seen that um, there was a call for volunteers to help staff the shelter. And so we had volunteers that came to, to uh, fill different shifts. And then we also had community members that just, again, saw that we were serving as a, as a shelter and just brought, you know, um, pet food and clothing and blankets and other things. So for me, it was like, wow, this is a, such a great example of people coming together during this time. I feel like the scenario is a little different now, but but again, with the Bureau, I know um, how much work is involved in helping putting something together like that. Mm. How has the city been doing with regards to COVID-19 response from your perspective? Yeah, I would say that I feel like they're, they're doing their best given the information available to them. Um, I think that, you know, we we've made uh, the city has has a great start so far in supporting the individuals that are most impacted again with increasing our shelter capacity with things like the more temporary moratorium on eviction um, the relief for the relief funds for our small businesses but, but again it's just a start and i know that um really we should be, par- be preparing for months not just weeks and days mm. so when I think about like I mentioned the shelters and just the amount of work um, and energy that it took you know I think about people on the front lines and how can we build our people power so that people can take care of themselves as well um, because again it's, it is going to be a marathon whereas in my scenario it was just like a few days um, so I think that's important I think that 
we really should be operating. You know, and some of this is contingent on, you know, it's not just the city, the state, federal support as well. But we really should be operating like we're in war right now and be looking to our manufacturers and apparel companies to really be helping to increase the the, the um, production of protective, uh, personal protective equipment for our frontline um, health um, healthcare providers. You know, I was reading just this morning that we've in a couple of hospitals we have individual our health frontline health um, care providers that have tested positive. So we really need to do more to be able to protect the people on the front lines. Um, you know, so those are a few things. Hygiene, I've also seen, I was reading in Street Roots, how, yes, we've opened up public restrooms, but people are also saying we need shower facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, when I was at Charles Jordan and we were hosting that warming shelter, that was something that people were really appreciative of, was being able to take a shower in our building and just sort of like you know, refresh and feel like more dignified. Before we wrap, you are in a very crowded field in this particular race. What makes you the best candidate that folks should uh, pay attention to your candidacy and ultimately vote for you in May? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that, you know, my experience, I feel like I have the qualifications, um, having worked on the front lines with community coupled with my experience working within um, a city bureau and not just that but I also have served as the um, uh, as the co-chair and founder of our Latinx PDX um, employee affinity group as well as our diverse empowered employees of Portland affinity group system executive committee so through that as well as leading um, citywide policy development project teams I've also got become very familiar with um, other bureau operations as well Um, and then on top of that, you know, my experience being in City Hall, you know, with those relationships that I would bring, those existing relationships I would bring with um, staffers and electeds within the building, as well as my experience, again, in sort of the day-to-day and and really understanding, like, what the job is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, again, like, I'm looking at filling Commissioner Fish's seat, and really what this position is, is I'm just completing his um, his term, and then obviously to be determined moving forward. But um, the portfolio he had was Portland Parks and Recreation. Um, again, I'm very intimately close and knowledgeable about that bureau. Very invested in that bureau, and I know in talking to staff that having the Bureau of Environmental Services coupled with Parks has been really great as far as like efficiencies are concerned, as far as like overlap in work and just that ability to collaborate. So. Um, and I do have familiar, familiarity working with that bureau specifically around workforce equity strategies. Um, so I think that those things make me um, qualified. Uh, at the same time, um, again, I live in Southwest, um, but I've also worked in East, I've worked in North, I've worked downtown, and so I have been close to the issues facing communities across our city, um, and it will be my responsibility to represent not just my own neighborhood, but but the entire city being able to balance that like we were talking earlier and then I think in addition to that you know I I have a reputation as somebody who is a collaborator who has integrity who gets things done and not just gets things done but also gets things done in a manner that brings people along together in real partnership Um, so um, in an inclusive way um, equity is also something that guides me so I think that um, I feel like I'm a full package deal. (laughs) (laughs) Where can folks find out more about you, Cynthia? 
Yeah, so people can come to my website. So that's just www.cynthiacastro.com. Um, I also have an active Twitter site. So that's Cynthia4FORPDX. Um, and we also have um, a Facebook page, which is the same, Cynthia4PDX. Excellent. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, thank you for having me. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Be well. Thanks. That's Cynthia Castro. She's running for City Council, Portland City Council, Position 2. You can find out more at CynthiaCastro.com.